Years ago, I remember um, a song that came out and the church really got into singing it. It was the song, Holiness. And the lyrics went something like this. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want for me, for me. And then the chorus would uh, say this. So take my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Um, as I was recalling that song, and the melody's kind of going through my mind this last week or two um, in anticipation of this message, um, I had to ask the honest question, do I really long for holiness? I mean, the song was popular because we were supposed to long for holiness. Let me ask you that question. Do you long for holiness? Do you even know what it means? This morning we're looking at this attribute of holiness. And we have a lot of preconceived notions, I think, when it comes to holiness. And I hope this morning that you'll just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and form a real biblical view of what holiness is all about because God longs for us to see him as holy. I'd like us to do a little exercise this morning. We're going to read some scripture out loud together. We're going to kind of pick up where that little bumper video left off. We're going to grab some scripture and just read it out loud. So read with me out loud as the scripture appears behind me. 1 Samuel 2.2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is not one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 22.3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Psalm 111.9, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And lastly, Isaiah 6.3, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When you hear the term holiness, what comes to your mind? What thoughts percolate to the surface when you hear that term? Do you have a picture of monks in robes chanting? Mm, whatever they chant, I don't know. Is that what comes to your mind when you think of the word holiness? Do you think of candles in a dark room with that kind of ambiance of, you know, dimly lit light and reflective and all that? Do you think of that when you think of the word holiness? Do you think of robes and a big sash and priestly garments and liturgy and tradition when you think of the word holiness? How about this? Do you think of a big print, humongously huge Bible? It says Holy Bible, right? Is that what comes to mind when you think of the word holiness? I think for a long time in the church, holiness was viewed as the absence of something. And you poor women, you see Lance squarely on you, the absence of makeup. That's holiness. Wearing your hair in a bun. That's holiness or a long dress. Now we have men wearing their hair in a what? Bun. I'm not talking this bun, I'm talking this bun up here, right? Now we have men wearing hair in their bun. How things have changed over the last 20 years. But oftentimes, I think, to the diminishing of this topic matter, holiness has been viewed as something you don't do or abstain from. Do you think of holiness as hush, quiet, talking? You know, where you just kind of whisper. Is that what you think of when you think of holiness? 
Chip Ingram, who wrote God as He Longs uh, for Us to See Him, recounts just such a tradition in his life. Um, because these traditions oftentimes really taint your view of holiness. But he, re- he recounts how a tradition in his life kind of instilled in him a picture of holiness. Here's what he said. The ends of the huge A-frame sanctuary were covered in stained glass. Suspended on wires from the ceiling, a highly polished cross, maybe 25 feet in length, stood over the altar. The pews that filled the room were divided down the middle by a wide aisle that focused your attention on the altar and the cross. Every time my parents took me to that church, I would observe a familiar ritual. My mother would um, get to the aisle, turn towards the cross, stop. She would solemnly bow down, then slide over in the pew and kneel and pray. Being an astute little boy, I watched as this person came into the aisle, looked at the cross, and bowed. Some even made the sign of a cross. Even on Saturday, when the custodian was dusting the pews, each time he got to the aisle, he would stop, bow down, and then continue on his cleaning. I decided there was something about this aisle. You never cross it until you bow towards the altar and cross. This was serious business. There was mystery about it that even affected an ornery, mouthy little boy like me. Sometimes when my parents were distracted, I played tag with my friends in the sanctuary. Our mad dashes across the room were strangely interrupted by a brief stop and a nod to the altar and cross every time we crossed that aisle. We dared not, for reasons we did not understand, step into that aisle without proper respect. Experiences like that, they taint your understanding of holiness. They form in you, uh, you know, whether you think about it, you know, on purpose or not, some thoughts and some beliefs about holiness. Um, I remember when I was a 13-year-old boy, I was feeling my oats one day, and I was standing by this trailer with my dad, and for some unknown reason to me, that was the day when I was going to say something really stupid to him. And I looked right at him, and I mouthed off, you know, and I said something to him, and all I remember was, backhand to the face and down to the ground. And my dad looked at me and said, don't ever talk to me like that again, and he walked away. And I tell you what, you may think that's severe, I had it coming. And I never did talk to him like that again to his face, you know. But when you, when you think about holiness, when you think about holiness, do you see and picture a God who's ready to backhand you if you don't act right? Is that what holiness is all about? Because experiences, traditions, they shape our view on critical subject matter like holiness more than I think than we give credit to them. And so this morning what I want to ask you to do is kind of lay down all that stuff for a few moments. And let's just say to God, teach me about this thing called holiness, Lord. Because it's so, so very important. And be open to what God is going to show you this morning. I want to begin by giving you a biblical definition of holiness. Here's a biblical definition of the word holiness. What it means when we use that word is simply this, to be set apart from all else. Simply speaking, that's what holiness means, to be set apart from all else. Now, it's the opposite of profane. The word profane means common or ordinary. So 
Holiness is the opposite of being common or ordinary. When applied to God, it means he is uniquely set apart as pure, sacred, sinless, and untainted by evil. His essential nature and character make him different. So that's what the word holiness means. Set apart, not profane, unique, pure, sacred, sinless, untainted by evil. A.W. Tozer said this when it concerns the topic matter of holiness. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. So here's the thing about holiness, though, that causes me to catch my breath just a little bit. God is definitely revealed to us all throughout the Bible as a holy God. Set apart, unique, not profane, not common, not ordinary, right? Um, untainted by evil, perfection describes him. That's how God's revealed. But here's what makes me catch my breath a bit. We're called to that same kind of holiness as his followers. That ought to cause you to sit there and go, oh, oh. What does that mean? How do I do that? See, you're called to be holy because God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 make this very clear to us. It says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So our look into holiness this morning has to be more than just a discovery of another cool attribute of God. There is a responsibility that flows out of our understanding of holiness because we're called to be holy as God is holy. And I think this is breath-catching. It's, 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 it's something that's sobering. It causes you to ponder the, what we're about to embark on here today. Um, you, brothers and sisters in Jesus, you are called to be holy. You are called to be set apart. You are called to be anything but profane. You're not to be common or ordinary. You are called to be untainted by evil. You are called to be one who is experiencing an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. This holiness topic matters because it's how we're to do our Christianity. It's how we're to live out our faith. So what we're going to do for just a few moments is we're going to look at seven manifestations of God's holiness. So we get some concreteness to holiness, some tangibility to this really, really important subject matter. But here's what we're going to do. I want you to participate with me a little bit today. Are you okay with that? If you're not, I'm in charge, so you have to deal with it. What's going to happen here is at the end of each one of these little talks on manifestations of God's holiness, I'm going to simply say, holy is the Lord, to which you reply, Holy is the Lord. Let's practice. Holy is the Lord. You know, you're louder than second hour. And there's like a third of you. Very good. Don't tell them I said that, okay? So, first of all, we're going to look at holiness is manifested to and through people. And I want to use the example uh, of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. During his uh, time as a prophet, uh, King Uzziah passed away. And Isaiah, being a prophet of God, turned to God for some words of guidance and a message uh, for the people. And so he's seeking the Lord. You get in the background here? 
uh, seeking the Lord, what do I say to the, the people of Israel because King Uzziah is dead? And what words would you have me uh, say? And so he's seeking the Lord. And here's what he runs into. The holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, he saw the Lord high and seated on a throne, and the seraphs cried out to the Lord, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, the crisis of this dead king quickly faded into the backdrop as Isaiah was you know, captured by the holiness of God, and it brought his attention upward to God. And then something really, really interesting happens. Right away, it's brought inward into him. And he begins to see, God, you're holy. And all the angelic beings are crying out, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he began to look at himself and he said, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. See, God's holiness brought his eyes up to God and he saw God, I think, in, a, in, in this full-orbed way that maybe you'd never seen him before. And right away he goes back and he sees this inward uh, thing happening. Uh, we see this inward thing happening to, to Isaiah and he goes, oh, I'm not very good. He, he, he had that desperation moment. Um, and I think this is part of the reason why holiness is so, so very, very important because once you begin to see who God is, you know what? You don't do the comparison game with other people. It doesn't really matter. There's this perspective-setting thing to God's holiness. Once you see God's holiness, you know what I think happens to you a bit as a follower of God? You don't ask that question, well, how far can I go, God, before it's a sin? You don't, begin, you don't ask those kind of questions because the holiness of God is so affecting to you as a person. You, you, you just see him and you go, I am desperately in need here, God of something I cannot do myself. Because your holiness is showing me this great disparity between you and me. And so something really cool happens uh, to Isaiah. God doesn't leave him in this desperation. A seraph, we're told, grabs a coal from the altar and brings it over and he touches the mouth of Isaiah and God says, your sins are atoned for. That is something we ought to go, whoa, how cool is that? You're clean. You know, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the living coal of God Almighty, and he has come into our lives if we ask him to our lives, right? And he touches us, and he says, you're no longer a sinner. You're clean because of my work on the cross. And Isaiah is cleaned by the Lord, and we get a glimpse into the Holiness of God and how it affects people. It's about seeing who God is. It's about seeing who we are. And it's about being transformed by God. And then something interesting happens. Now Isaiah's ready to be God's messenger. He's ready to hear a message from God. He's ready to pass that message on. And God says, who will go? And Isaiah says, me! Pick me! Here I am. Send me! I'll go. I think he was that enthusiastic because he had run into the holiness of God. And now he understood what the message should be and what it was all about. And there's no longer Isaiah's agenda. It's God's agenda. And I just see this is what holiness does to the follower of God. Holy is the Lord. Thank you. The holiness of God is manifested in a place. You ever wonder why it's manifested in a place? We'll talk about that for a few moments. 
God appears in a burning bush to Moses. Moses goes to that burning bush to see what's up. God basically says to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. Somehow that dirt was now holy because God's presence was there. Later on in the story of Moses, he's built the tabernacle as per the instructions of God, and we're told that a cloud descended on the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled that place to such a degree that Moses couldn't even go into the tent of the meeting because the glory of God was there, his holiness was there in such a magnificent, powerful way that place was made holy. Later on, if you read on in the Old Testament, you'll come upon the dedication of of the um, Temple of Solomon, uh, and they're dedicating the temple uh, there that they had built again according to God's instructions, and Solomon had done, the, had done that work. And once again, a cloud comes over that temple, and the glory of the Lord is so strong in that place that the, that the priests can't perform their duty. That place was made holy. Why does God do that? What's up with that? Well, I think he's showing us something. He's giving us a glimpse of what lies ahead for us in that heavenly place that's full of the holiness of God. He's given us this little glimpse here and there of our destiny in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, we're told that the creatures gathered around the throne of their creator and they cry out saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. See, our destiny as born-again believers in Jesus Christ is a holy place. It's called heaven, amen? And every time God gives us a glimpse of The burning bush, that ground is holy. The tabernacle, that place is holy. The temple, that place is holy. He's educating us on what's going to transpire when we get to heaven. Holy is the Lord. Holiness is manifested through the law. God's law focuses us on his holiness. Take, for example, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. They're really about who God is and how holy he is. Because he's holy, you'll have no gods before him. Because he's holy, you'll not do any idol worship. Because he's holy, you'll honor his name. Because he's holy, you'll observe and honor the Sabbath day. That's all about the holiness of God. If you look at the book of Leviticus, you won't understand the book of Leviticus until you look at it through the lens of holiness. The book of Leviticus is all about God's law, but why? You have to ask, why are you telling me all these things, God? Why is it in the Bible? Because it's illustrative of a God who's set apart, who's anything but ordinary, and his people then have to understand this and have to understand that they come to him as an extraordinary, one-of-a-kind God. And so all this law kind of illustrates that. He's got the law, you know, concerning, uh, you know, ceremonial washings and sacrifices and the rules about circumcision and dietary instructions. All this kind of says to you and I, God is set apart. He's not ordinary. He's not common. Besides that, there's this other added benefit. Back in that time, they didn't know what germs were or bacteria was. And and this instruction was for the benefit of the people too, right? Don't eat that animal because it'll probably make you sick. Wash your hands because they're full of bacteria. He's not going to say that. He's just going to say, obey and do these things. But they had the side benefit of also helping the people to live a clean life. You get what I'm going with this? So God's laws are beneficial in that they illustrate his holiness. Holy is the Lord. God's 
Holiness is manifested through the prophets. Through the prophets. I mean, basically, it's redundancy like crazy. When you look at the prophetic books of the Old Testament, almost without exception, the prophet is calling a wayward people back to God. And what the people have done is made God common. They're saying he's just like any other God or he's the best of many gods. And God will not be made common. That's profanity, okay? That's what the word profane means, to make God common or ordinary. And the prophetic call was always, understand that God is not common, that he's holy, that he's set apart. That, to me, is the ministry of the prophets. Holy is the Lord. The holiness of God is manifested through his wrath and judgment, or by his wrath and judgment. In Acts chapter 5, we read about a, a, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And they, like a lot of the people of that moment, were selling property and then bringing it to the disciples as an offering. Only they had a little bit of a twist on their giving. They decided to sell some land and then act like they were giving all of that proceeds to the disciples, but keeping back part for themselves. Now, they could have kept that back. It was their land. It was their money. But what they did was deceiving. They acted like they were giving it all. And so Peter addresses the problem. He says, you have not lied to men. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. And the sad part of the story is that they both gave up their lives because of this deception. Why is that such a big deal? Because God's holy. Set apart. Not common. And you're not to play these games with God and try to deceive people. You're to be honest and authentic before him. Holy is the Lord. Of course, holiness is manifested through Jesus. He's the most complete uh, revelation of holiness in the Bible. And a real glimpse into the holiness of Christ uh, is given in Mark chapter 9. The Lord took his uh, you know, disciples on the inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John, led them to a high mountain. And there in that high mountain, he is transfigured. And his clothes become dazzling white. And he has a conversation with Elijah. And Moses, I mean, these are the big hitters of the Jewish culture. And there before Peter, James, and John's very eyes, the Lord turns dazzling white, and he's talking to Elijah. And Moses, wouldn't you like to eavesdrop on that conversation? And Peter, as Peter often does, is bumbling around, not knowing what to do, and he's just awestruck. So he says, we'll build you three shelters. I mean, I feel like, Peter, just be quiet. And then we're told that the disciples are enveloped with a cloud. You notice how clouds are often in this holiness thing? With, I don't know why that is, but anyway, they're enveloped with a cloud, and, and God speaks to them basically and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to what he says. I don't think those disciples were ever the same after that moment. They knew now that Jesus was anything but what? common, that he was way more than just human. He was God. He was extraordinary. He's unique, right? He's untainted by evil. They, I think, for the first time, maybe in in a really super visible way, ran into the holiness of Jesus Christ. Holy is the Lord. 
Holiness is manifested through the church. Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church on the problem of division, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you, now he's already given them some instruction about the, 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 the division and how that's not right. He gets to this kind of concluding thought process in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, and he uses the word you, it's kind of a plural word, meaning you, the church. He says, you are the temple of God. In other words, you are God's holy inhabitation. You shouldn't be acting like this. You shouldn't be slandering each other. You shouldn't be divided. You shouldn't be having these petty quarrels because you are the temple of God. And what he's saying is you are a holy sanctuary. You are set apart to God. You are the people of God. Why are you acting like this? That's kind of the tone of his correction in that set of scripture. And you know what I think we do to our own harm sometimes is we make gatherings like this profane. And what I mean by that is we make them common and kind of irrelevant and kind of dutiful. And what we're supposed to be doing is understanding this is a holy endeavor we're embarking upon in a gathering like this. This is a sacred moment. This is a moment where the Holy Spirit is to be manifested in our midst, and we're supposed to be submissive to God. It's, it's something that we're missing if we don't understand that, that, that holiness is manifested through the church. Amen? Church isn't duty to get done. It's holiness to be received. You, you getting where I'm coming at with this? And I oftentimes think, oh, church. <laughs> you know, I'll tell the story. It's third hour. I don't have time to tell the story. I don't really have time this hour either, but I'll tell it. John Wimber, who was a big uh, dog in the kind of charismatic church movement back in the day, uh, has this story told about him. One day he's laying in bed and he's complaining, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go to church, you know. And finally his wife said, John, you got to go to church, you're the pastor. You know, you got to get up and you got to go. And I think sometimes Satan does most of his work in trying to keep people just away from the church. Why? Because there's something sacred and holy about this. It's not ordinary, and it's not common. People of God, we can't let it be common. Holy is the Lord. So what do we do with the holiness of God? How should it affect our lives? Well, um, previously I talked about the sovereignty of God and, and human responsibility and how oftentimes when you come to a certain issue, you have a sovereignty side to that issue and you have a human responsibility side to the issue. And sometimes people land in one camp or the other and, 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 and the Bible so often presents things in tension and we ought to leave them in tension. And so the holiness is a perfect example of how the sovereignty of God and how human responsibility are interactive. It's like two telephone poles intention with each other. Two power poles, intention with each other. So let me walk you through how this works and how this then affects, um, you know, our life when it comes to, to uh, the sovereignty, uh, or excuse me, or to the holiness of God. So let's look at the power pole of sovereignty first. Let's look at the power pole of sovereignty first. Um, you are made holy. You are made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is a status. It is a state that happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, simply stated, what this means is if you've received Jesus by faith, 
into your heart, you are now a holy person. That is your status because God imputes holiness to the believer. That's sovereignty, right? You getting this? Do you see yourself that way? Because you need to. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been made holy by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's imputed to you. You can't earn it. You can't make it happen, right? So there's that one power pole of sovereignty. You getting that? And, and you got the issue of holiness here. There's tension there. And, and you are made holy because of the work of Christ. But then you got the power pole of human responsibility on the other side of that wire, holiness, over here. You have the power pole of human responsibility. Holiness is a commitment to make. We're called to that commitment. Going right back to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. Make every what? Effort. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So here you got this subject matter of holiness. On the one side, it's imputed to you because of God's sovereignty. On the other side, there's this human responsibility that you're to make every effort to be holy. Don't try to figure it out. Just believe it. That's how it's presented to you and I. See, we have this holy life that we're supposed to step into and live out. And God says, I'm making that possible. I'm imputing that to you through Jesus Christ, through the finished work, through the person of the Holy Spirit in you, and you're to cooperate with that and make every effort, amen, to live out a holy life. Here's some thoughts to consider then on holiness as we close out the message this morning. Holiness is a command to obey. It is a command to obey. It's not optional. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 tell us, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So holiness is something you have to grapple with. You can't walk out of here this morning and say, Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to care about that subject matter. <laughs> you do that to your own harm. It is a command to be a holy people of God. It is a, now remember what holiness is, means. What does holiness mean? Set apart, not profane, you're not common or ordinary, and you're going to do battle with evil, okay? That's what holiness means. Because oftentimes what happens when it comes to this topic matter of holiness is it gets real legalistic super quick. It's about the hair bun. It's about the dress. It's about a tradition. It's about a certain worship style. It's about volume. It's about, you know, lights, or it's about whatever. image. You know what I'm saying? We get into all that stuff, and we equate it and make it something, and it is not. That's called legalism. That's not holiness. Holiness is something that transpires in here, which brings us to the second point. It's a way of thinking, and it's an attitude to develop. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, it's a way of thinking, and it's an attitude, this holiness. 
And here's where really the rubber meets the road a little bit. See, we're called to be devoted to God, madly in love with him, cooperating with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're called to do that. We're called to think different and to have a different kind of attitude. But oftentimes what happens is that you'll see Christians not understanding holiness and feeling superior because they go to church or whatever and they know the ways of God and they go out there in the world and what people see is a haughty person who's kind of prideful of their knowledge in God who feels superior to others and the person that's supposed to be winsome becomes what? Repelling. And it's all a misunderstanding sometimes of what holiness is. But if you really get holiness, that it's, it's, it's this way of thinking and it's an attitude, you're going to go out there and you're going to be humble because you know it's a gift from God, the sovereignty side. You're going to be making every effort, right? Because you're called to be making every effort to live a life separated unto God because the holiness is about being separated unto God and having God's mind that matters, right? Right? It's not a haughty spirit, is it? A haughty spirit, tell you what, any, that, that's repulsive. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so holiness, rightly understood, becomes this way I think different. I want to be, you know, in this place of purity in my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to have pure motives. I want to have a pure heart. I want to say things out of a love for Jesus Christ. Everything that comes out of my mouth needs to go to the filter of of, of what would Jesus say and do. You know, I want to please my Lord, and I'm not going to look down on another person because God loves that person. Maybe he doesn't love what they're doing, but he loves that person, and I I need to say the hard things, but it's always tainted by by the compassion and, and the love of Christ in me that's compelling me. That's when you're stepping into holiness. Amen? You're set apart. You're not profane anymore. You're not common or ordinary, and you're untainted by evil. Amen? Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let's pray, and then we're going to finish with a couple of songs. I just want to say this. If you have a need for prayer this morning, and you want to seek out somebody the prayer team is always available after service to the, to the right side, your left side of the sanctuary. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this revelation that you are a holy God. It's all over the Bible. can hardly read any section of the Bible without running into this concept. It's incredibly important because you're set apart, God. You're unique. You're not ordinary. There's nothing profane about you. There's just nothing common about you. In fact, you're extraordinary. You're one of a kind. You're unique. You're untainted by evil, you're perfection. You're perfect in love, you're perfect in power, God. I mean, when we think of you, God, we gotta think of you this way, because it's how you've been revealed to us. And so this morning, I pray we've run into your holiness, biblically speaking. Help us to lay down anything that has to do with legalism, God, when it comes to holiness. The two are often confused. It's not about outward adornment. It's not about a tradition. It's about our heart attitude. It's about what our mind thinks. And I pray this day, Lord, that we be reflective of Jesus Christ. That in all things, in all ways, the first thought that would tend to dominate our thinking would be, what would Jesus say or do here? I should do the same thing then. And I just pray that that would be more than words. It would be who we really become. And forgive us, Lord, when we get caught up in things that don't matter, all these secondary issues, and we make them almost like holiness issues. They are not. So changes from the inside out God we love you so very much and as we sing the next couple of songs may we do so with this reverence and this love of you as a holy 
people of God. Because we need to be holy because you're holy, God. In your name, Jesus, amen.